Hi, welcome back to Excited. Episode 37, my name is Arvid. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com, Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. Also on the line from Raw Charge, the managing editor, head honcho, commander-in-chief of the rival blog to the Leafs, uh, we have Alan Wells, or Loser Points, on Twitter. Alan, how are you doing? Doing great, guys. Uh, that is probably a more lofty title than I than I deserve, but I'll take it. <laughs> so Alan is here to talk to us about the Bolts, and I guess the rest of the Atlantic Division in general. We are, what, 14 games into the season for the Leafs, 13 for the Lightning, so it, it, it feels like it's a good time. The and You know, 14 out of 82 is a nice round number of 17%. So, you know, the 17% mark of the season, we're going to discuss how these teams are doing. Um, So, yeah, let's get into it. Alan, how have things been in uh, Lightning Land? What are the general, I guess, subplots of the season so far? And how is the fan base uh, feeling right now? I think I think I would say that the beginning of the season has been uh, boring, which is a good thing. I think that that they've been pretty much what was expected. They've won nine of their first 13 games. They're among the top teams in the league in terms of standings points. Um, they're playing relatively well. They're a top five expected goal share team. Um, there's not a lot to be unhappy with, um, and I think that's I think that's what people kind of wanted to see was was them to get off to a good start, um, play well, put themselves in a, in a position early um, to, to be in a good spot uh, standings-wise. And then there's there's not a lot to, to look at and say, oh, this is, this is an obvious problem. They've had some, they've had some kind of weird stuff where they've gotten poor goaltending at five on five, but like outrageous goaltending on the penalty kill. So it's, it's kind of like evened out in all situations. Um, their defensive numbers are are outstanding to start the year, which I, I don't necessarily think people expected. Maybe Ryan McDonough kind of settling in has has bumped that that side of the that side of the game up for them a little bit. Um, but there's there, there's nothing there's nothing that's happened in the first few weeks that I think would would really be super surprising to anyone. They have a couple small injuries right now. Um, both Victor Hedman and Andre Pilat got got hurt in the same game, but and they've missed the last I think three games, but nothing that's expected to be long-term both of them could be back this week um so yeah they've 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 sort of done exactly what they needed to do and what i think they would have would have wanted to do and 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 set the pace that hopefully they can they can keep uh going forward well you have our envy in that uh everything is going just tickety-boo for you guys (laughs) because we've been on like an emotional roller coaster the last couple of weeks you know we win a game we all get excited Austin Matthews gets injured. We all start crying. It's it's been a little bit of an up and down, but uh, all of that said, I think our position relative to you guys is kind of what I would have thought. Like we score a lot, we defend poorly. We're not quite as good as Tampa. We're second in the division. Like if you'd asked me to predict where we would be 15 games in, it would be about this. So, kind of a pro con there. But like, as someone who's you know, Tampa expects to contend for a cup very seriously this year. Right now, to me, they look like the best team in the East. Do you feel that that's kind of where you're at, or is, is there still room to improve? I mean, you said they're about on schedule, but uh... yeah, I mean, I think I, I think they're in the discussion. I think it's I have a hard time sometimes making like you know sussing out what's happening definitively at 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 the top. I think they 
I think they look like the best team right now. I think we would have said the same thing at this time last year, and and then the second half of the season was just kind of a just sort of dragged, and they never really seemed to recover that. I mean, they they flashed it a little bit in that in that Bruins series, I think, but you know, so I I think you know part of the part of the general sort of reaction is like you know we saw this last year, and it's and it's great to see, but I think um, I think people are kind of a little bit reserved and sort of want to see how they carry this um, um, through the year because it's great to be the best team in the league for the first, you know, 35 games or so, but that, that doesn't ultimately kind of get you, get you the results that you want. So I, I think, yes, they're, they're one of the better teams that I've, that I've seen play this year. Um, I would say even in the, in the whole league, not, not just in the East, but there's a, that, that that's, there's still a lot of work for them to do in terms of showing that they can sustain that. Um, and not that they'll play this well for the whole year. They'll have down stretches, but um, I'd like to see something a little more from them over the second half of the year than, than they managed to put together last year. I, don't, I think you're underrating the significance of the first 17% of the season. <laughs> Specifically. That, it's like that, that old time. coaching saying, you are what you are exactly 17% of the way into the year. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh... So one thing I want to ask, and I think this is something that Leaf fans are kind of dealing with now, is you start you stop caring as much about the regular season. Like, is, is that a thing with Tampa fans? Right. The the idea you mentioned is okay. We're, we're good. We know we're good. We look good. But ultimately, nothing really matters until April. It's like the NBAifying of the NHL regular season, which doesn't usually happen because there's so much more parity. But for a team like Tampa, who can be reasonably assured that they're kind of a top team. Is, is it sort of just, okay, we're waiting for April. Let's just hope we don't get any injuries. Let's just make sure we're doing all right come the new year, essentially. Yeah, I, I try to push back against that just as a fan. That's not an mm-hmm. enjoyable way to experience a season. So I, I yeah. try to really, like, force myself to enjoy. Like, like as much as being great this time of year doesn't get you a cup, it's still a stretch of getting to watch really skilled players play amazing hockey and be dominant you know and right and so i think a lot of people were just or tampa fans were disappointed at the end of of last year and and sort of overlooked just how great they were in in you know november and december in particular and i try i try not to do that too much but it's 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 very hard to to sort of stay in that mindset and sort of take the season as it comes and sort of enjoy it in 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 blocks and sort of where you are because yeah ultimately um, this team has sort of seen enough winning and it's, it's almost even worse than that. They've seen enough playoff success having been in the, to at least the conference final, like three of the last four years, like they, mm-hmm. it feels like it doesn't even really ramp up until like the second round of the, the second round of the playoffs in terms of, you know, people really feeling invested and really feeling like the games have stakes um, and some of that stuff. And when you're sort of on the front end of that cycle, um, you get that feeling a lot more as a fan throughout the regular season. But, you know, if you ask me, you know, do I think it's super important for the Lightning to finish first in the East or anything? I, you know, I think it, I think, like you said, it's more important that they get through the season healthy. And, you know, if I would like to see them rest Vasilevsky more than they did last year. You know, if you lose a handful of games because you, you played Deming, you know, um, more times than maybe you even needed to just just to be safe I, I would be fine with that so um yeah it's 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 it is 
that to a certain extent as much as I try to kind of push back against it. Yeah, I think that that's reasonable. I mean, I mean, when I look at the standings right now as a Leaf fan, I kind of it's very easy to see a resolution to this season that's really unsatisfying for us. Mm-hmm. That isn't, you know, the, the car lights on fire or anything like that. It's just, look who we're lined up to play again. Oh, it's Boston. Um, you know, losing to them in seven games is basically the equivalent of a coin flip. It could happen again easily. And, you know, everyone in our city is going to be real pissed if that happens again. Uh, and so I do get a bit of that where it's like you have to kind of stop and smell the roses and remember, you know, six years ago or whatever, we were happy if the team won like four games out of ten. You, you know, we're privileged to watch a team that can win some of the time. Um, the other thing is that I think you kind of find yourself cheering for individual markers. Like I was really hoping that Matthews would make a real run at the Rocket Richard, which we've never had anyone seriously do in my lifetime. And then he got his shoulder separated, so I guess I gotta start hoping for Zach Hyman to lead the league in four checks per sixty or something <laughs> like that. But uh, Zach Hyman already leads the league in four checks per sixty. Yeah, I'm just kidding, by the way. Obviously, I was already tracking that stat. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so so you know, you you kind of find your own way to make it fun, and there's some up and downs. Yeah, I think with the Leafs as well, uh, and this is something that. You know, you brought this up on the la- the last time we had you on, Owen, and it's a point I keep coming back to because I think it it was very salient. It, it was very smart at the time, and it's been proven true by the first seventeen percent of the season. Um, is that the Leafs kind of doubled down on what they were last year, right? They were like this heavily, hot, super high powered offensive team that could score like hell, that could just generate offense like few other teams in the league, and were bad on defense, right? Just just straight up bad on defense. Not bad enough to offset their amazing offense, but still bad. And this year, it's basically the same thing, except more, because now we have John Tavares, right? So there, sure. there's, like, an element of, like, kind of sameness and stasis to what the Leafs have been. Like, we've kind of run out of ways to say that, hey, the Leafs are an above-average team who can win a lot of games on goaltending, elite shooting, and elite offense that offsets for that offsets their bad defense. You know, they have good special teams. That's clearly good enough to get through a regular season and be a top three seed in the Atlantic, and that's probably where they're going to end up, but we have no idea if it's going to be good enough in the playoffs, and we just have to wait and see. Right? So you get sort of this sense of, okay, well, what are we watching for the next six months? And yeah, I think definitely you want to find joy in the everyday games. I mean, that's why we're fans, right? We we like watching hockey. I mean, well, we like watching spreadsheets more. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think for, for me, like, I think a lot of it is just like, the, the weirdness that happens in individual games, like like Braden Coburn scored two goals the other night for the Lightning. That was like the second time in his career he had ever done that and the first time in forever. I think, you know, he was in Philly the last time he did it. So just just stuff like that is is what I try to I try to enjoy that stuff um, and not just kind of get let it get let it get lost in the yeah. inevitable march to to the playoffs. And and being a hockey fan is like like sports fandom in general is it, it take takes the toll on you and it's probably not like the the greatest thing to do but but <laughs> hockey is is particularly brutal and then basing sort of your your feelings of of you know about how the season went in terms of whether they're successful on a seven game series of hockey games 
is like one of the most brutal things you can do to yourself in in sports fandom. Like it's so yeah. random. So like that's that's such if if you're really just hinging on that, you're you're hinging on a coin flip. Um. So I, I try to I try to get what I can out of the regular season and enjoy watching them play well. And then when the playoffs come, it's just sort of a like here we go. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do this again, and it's and it's gonna be terrible. <laughs> you know, I think about it this, will end in tears. I think about this with respect to the NBA a lot because the NBA is even more of a league where like literally no one gives a shit about what you do in the regular season. Like uh, amazing players are derided because they have five bad games in the playoffs, right? Like Dame Lillard took like endless amounts of shit because his team shit the bed in the playoffs uh, last year. Demar Derozan, same thing, right? So, and it's, it's especially bad because like we all kind of know the Warriors are just gonna fuck everyone up. Yeah, <laughs> but. It's like you kind of have to enjoy the journey. Otherwise, what's the point, right? And again, this is something we've talked about before, but like if you're only, if you, the only thing you can ever possibly find enjoyment in is, is a championship, then like most of the time you're going to be unhappy. So yeah, a, a big, I think a big part of sports fandom is just kind of, like you said, finding joy in the little things and the, the little developments. And I think that's actually one of the things that's sort of freeing about when you cheer for a really bad team, because you literally just don't care about anything except like a few individual players and like, their growth so you know you'll notice that oh player x was has gotten much better at i don't know carrying the puck into the zone 20 games ago he would have dumped that in but now he carried it in that's so nice even though that's like in the grand scheme you're losing 12 nothing and getting your ass beat which you know as a leaf fan we have a lot of experience with that particular situation um so yeah i don't know where this is really going but yeah it's a a nice (laughs) conversation about, about fan psychology i guess honestly Okay, I'm going to tell a little story here because we're being all discursive. So there's a, a hipster bullshit, as Arvind would say, musician that I happen to enjoy named Spencer Krug, like Tory Krug, they have the same surname. And I liked him so much that I paid real money for his album that came out this week. And it sucked. <laughs> it was so bad. It was so much worse then even I would have been, like, I was prepared to be disappointed. You know, many things in life are disappointing. It was so terrible that I started enjoying how terrible it was. Like, I listened to every single song, start to finish, just thinking about, like, wow, this is just another bad thing that is happening. And a lot of poor choices had to go in to make this as bad as it was. And I realized that was the joy I got out of watching the Toronto Maple Leafs for, like, eight years. Like... I would have hoped for like maybe 15 games at the start of each season. Uh, and in the worst seasons, it would last longer than that before it went to hell. And then I would just sort of get to enjoy like, oh, well, Joffrey Lupul now exploded his tibia. That's kind of fun. Uh, whereas now with the Leafs, it's like I have to care almost. Like I can't have the same sort of gleeful, ironic detachment that I used to sort of bask in. Like I'm actually sad when they lose. Yeah. Uh, and we were talking about, for all we're like hipster nerds who watch spreadsheets and all this sort of stuff, we're in a much better mood recording this podcast because the Leafs blew out the Penguins last night. Yeah. <laughs> then we would be, if just the games of last week were in another order, and we beat the Pens on Monday, and then we lost to the Flames and the Stars last, you know, it's very hard not to ride the wave now because we're all sort of caught up in it. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I guess that's just to say that, like, we're going to get increasingly emotional as this podcast season goes on. And 
by the playoff podcast, we're just going to be like openly huffing into a paper bag and like screaming and crying all the time. So. I wanted to note uh, a couple of things. First off, you're not kidding when you say that Spencer Krug is hipster. You literally have more Twitter followers than him. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay, well that's I, it now. I think Podcast Alan might as well. Over. That's, the, <laughs> that's the saddest thing in the world. Um, yeah, yeah Al, right. Al, Alan has like 400 more Twitter followers than this guy. He he has more than me, annoyingly. <laughs> I hope he I'm listens to the behind podcast. You. Get it together, man. Start playing keyboards. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah. You, you wrote a piece about this actually last week, right? Like the, the Leafs are good now and I'm still pissed. Yeah. I was just talking about, you know, the Leafs, one, set a points record last season. And two, they're doing well. Relatively speaking, you know, their yeah. points per game is fine. They're second in the division behind a really excellent team in Tampa, as we kind of expected. But the Nylander thing is hanging over us like a cloud. And, you know, Matthews has a shoulder busted. And there's a lot of discontent with Mike Babcock that sometimes I get it. Mostly I think it's kind of ill-defined just because our expectations now are this team should be winning all the time. Yeah. And when they look bad we feel like the imminent prospect of crushing disappointment. You know, like we're constantly sensing like when they play a really ugly game, like they did against the flames on Monday night, we're like, Oh shit. Like this will be how it ends. This is going to be the beginning of the spiral downward and all this sort of stuff. And, and it is it, it, circling around to kind of what Alan was talking about. You got to find a way to take a perspective on this. That isn't just constant overwhelming despair. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you're not going to be able to enjoy even the good times, which in a relative sense, this definitely is. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, if you want yeah. like constant overwhelming despair, just read climate change news. <laughs> yeah. I'm just pretending that doesn't happen, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> it would be the most Leafs thing to like be, start having like a real contending team just as like the ice caps melt and we're all, we all just die anyways. <laughs> they're, they're, they're up three, one in game seven of the cup final and the ice starts melting. <laughs> <laughs> like no. falling in it like trying to trying to get through to the horn and that they just they can't finish the game just uh, seriously they're like wouldn't that be like the apotheosis of like leafs fandom where it's like we finally get good and they cancel the concept of ice like it's like just no the universe won't allow us to be happy that's kind of the final stage for us so yeah actually i actually think that's gonna happen now anyway but uh, we wanted to get your perspective on something that kind of touches on what you're talking about. Because you have had a resolution recently for Braden Point, I think it was. Or is that still pending? No, they haven't signed Point. They, they signed Gord. Oh, okay. Oh, that's who it was. They signed Gord. I'm sorry, I mixed up your really good center with G- your God, me. grinder, do you do, but really good center. Do you do any <laughs> research at all? The answer is no. Oh, neither, God, neither of us no. do. <laughs> no. But here's the thing. is like, I actually noted down, like, oh, talk about Braden Point. And then I was like, obviously, the reason I'm talking about him is because he's the same as Yanni Gord. I'm sorry. So, but Yanni Gord just recently signed an extension. Uh, what do you think about that, Alan? Is that a good deal? Are you content? Because there's a lot of cap room taken up now in Tampa. Yeah, they... So... My thing with that contract is that I think it's good and I uh, would have made signing him a priority even at the expense of other players on the roster. 
Um, their cap situation is going to be really tough this summer, and figuring out how to sign Point, depending on what he does this year, is going to be rough. Um, that yeah, could sorry, end. Sorry to interrupt. Just to set the table for our listeners, um, the Lightning have, according to Cap Friendly, seventy-two million tied up uh, next season in salary. The cap cap limit this year, or sorry, the cap ceiling this year is seventy-nine point five. So even if we if we assume it goes up to say eighty-two, that gives them ten million. But they need to re-sign like at least three defensemen. Braden Point's obviously coming up, and he's probably the most expensive re-signing out there. Uh, so yeah, it, they're very very tight against the cap, more so even than the Leafs. Uh, continue. So they're they're almost certainly going to have to move on from that Ryan Callahan contract in some fashion. It's got one year left. They're either going to have to buy it out, or they're going to have to you know, pay someone to take that contract for the last year. Um, after that, like you said, they have all those expiring contracts on the blue line. Anton Strawman, Braden Coburn, and Dan Girardi are all are all coming off the books this summer. I don't know that they can. I, I think maybe they try to re-sign Strawman. I think the other two maybe they they let go, um, and then they have some some prospects in Syracuse um, who are who are probably ready to fill. The rest of those spots, and then it then it becomes you know the question of of can you can you f- figure out a way to make a contract for for Braden Point work, and does anything else you know wild happen this summer? Does Eric Carlson still want to be in Tampa? Um, that's that's something. Does Artemi Panarin want to be in Tampa? Um, that one makes less sense, but you know he's you know he wants to be able to go to the beach. So there's there's. <laughs> Can I just say as an aside, like how much I envy that we're talking about how you have no cap room and yet it's reasonable for your team to have the present to be like, but we might still add Carlson or Panarin. It's like, stop. You have enough good players, please. I, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I'm scared of you as it is. I don't, I don't know what the, I have a hard time understanding. I don't know if it's, I think it might partially be the tax thing. I think it's also just the organization mm-hmm. has a really good reputation right now um mm-hmm. like this is a really deep cut but one of the lightning brought on um some new assistant coaches this summer and and one of them was being interviewed and he had a it, he he specifically said that you know he had passed on other assistant coaching jobs in the nhl because he wanted to stay on the head coaching track um but he took this one just because you know he knew sort of what the organization was so i don't know what the deal is with with why everyone seems to want to play here or, or why there's rumors around everyone to end up here. Um, but yeah, it, it, it keeps happening. But the, the, the stuff for next summer, basically what it comes down to is, is can they figure out a way to keep Braden point? Um, and Yanni Gord was going to be the question. They sort of preempted that by signing Gord long-term, which leaves them less room for Braden point. Um, that, 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 you know, they, they could be setting themselves up for, a Nikita Kucherov situation where they can, where they're, you know, trying to sign point to a bridge deal because they're arguing that they're essentially capped out um, and they don't have the space. Um, and then they sort of put the player in a situation where he has to either take that bridge deal at a, you know, at a lower average annual value for a few years or has to basically force the team to trade a player um, to make room to sign him. And that's a, that's a rough spot to put a player in and you know that that has ramifications obviously in the locker room and stuff so i think there there's going to be some some questions to be answered next summer and i i think um if they wanted to ensure that they could they could keep point long term and if and depending on 
some of the other moves they make the they do have the option to move JT Miller who's making five and a half million a year and I think will be a very tradable contract he'll probably score 60 something points this year and you know be in his mid-20s and you know, I think there's plenty of teams who would take that deal if they if they had to make space. So they've got some some flexibility and some options. They they've also sort of hemmed themselves in with all these no trade clauses that they've given out. I think the ones that they gave to Alex Korn and, and Tyler Johnson are probably ones that they look at and wish maybe they had some more flexibility there. Um, but, yeah, it's it's they're they're in a in a position where they have been for the last couple of years, which is they're just trying to survive on a year to year basis. And they're trying to have as much talent on the team for each, just the upcoming year as they possibly can. That's why they re-signed Miller over the summer. Um, you know, it's possible they can't keep him long-term, but they're, they're not going to move on from him before they have to, when they're trying to win a cup every season. So um, they're, they're going to keep as much as they can. And, and every year for the foreseeable future, the next summer is going to look bad and it's just going to be about, um, how they can how they can navigate that because it doesn't get any easier after this. Then they've they've got Sergachev and Vasilevsky, and if Sergachev continues on the trajectory he's on, he's gonna be in the same conversation in in terms of salary as as Point is. And if Vasilevsky he's already got a Vezina nomination, if he has another year, you know, where he looks good by traditional metrics, he's gonna be expensive. So this this stuff isn't gonna get any easier. It's gonna be every year they're gonna have to deal with this, and it's just gonna be a you know, how can you put the puzzle together to get you through to next July 1st and then try to do it again? Julian Brisbois, newly promoted to the general manager of the Lightning, he has a reputation as a really smart guy. Is is he kind of perceived as the brains in terms of this sort of rolling over maneuver where he's constantly, you, you know, putting the pieces back together for another season of contention? And, and so the thinking is that he can just keep on doing that until... Because, I mean, really... The Lightning have, uh, just having a look here now, but they, they have like seven pretty bulky term contracts just for forwards um, to go along with McDonough and Hedman. But I, I guess the idea is just, you trust him to do that? Like, do you have a lot of confidence in his leadership right now? I mean, now? it's it's tough to know. I, I, I There's a little bit of a risk of doing like a, a Dubas Lamorello situation, <laughs> you know, where you're like, oh, all the brilliant things that they did was was Brisebois and and Iserman was just there to be like handsome and motivate everyone um <laughs> I, I think I think that's play for the face <laughs> yeah I, th- I think that's 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 probably underselling Iserman's role and I I think he probably um you know helps sort of guide Brisebois to, to sort of manipulate the financial side and make sure that 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 they were doing what they needed to do in terms of the cap but i i do think that he i mean all the reports were even before eiserman left were, was that breezeball was kind of the driving force behind the way that they managed the cap and and their contracts and there's there's things to really like about the way they've handled their contracts and there's there's some question marks there too and he was there when ryan callahan signed so there's there's not you know and he he was i'm sure had his hands all over that ryan mcdonough contract that i don't love um so there's there's positive signs, you know. There there's some concerns, and yeah, he's he's created a, a challenge for himself that he's gonna that he's gonna have to figure out. But he's got a he's got a background in in finance and in in contract law, and so I'm sure he he likes looking at that balance sheet and trying to figure out how to how to put all those numbers together and 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 make it work. We'll we'll see if they if they hit a point though where they've just their success in drafting and the results that they've 
put up as they promote these players. I mean, it seems like eventually they have to hit a point where they're where they're not going to be able to keep some of these guys. So far, they've been able to pretty much hold on to everyone and the and the ones that they haven't, like you know Jonathan Druin, they 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 turned into you know a better a better player. They, they lost March, so obviously that was that was probably a poor decision. But you know, he, I don't know how much longer he could have fit there anyway with with the cap the way it is. So they they've lost some some parts along the way, but they've, they've generally been good about holding on to the things to, you know, pretty much all the, all the players that they need to. And so we'll see um, how much longer that can go for Cause unless the cap really, really bumps up here in the next few years, it seems like at some point it has to, you know, sort of has to get, get tougher than it has been. So one thing um, I wanted to, I guess, prompt you on is, that, so a lot of our, our viewers or listeners, I suppose, are Toronto-based. We're Leaf fans. We mostly watch Leafs games. And I think people realize that Braden Point is good, but I'm not sure they realize how good. And I know you are particularly high on him. Um, what sort of AAV do you expect him to get? And can you, like, I guess, for people who don't watch a ton of him, can you describe what exactly makes him so good and why he's actually an elite player? So he's a super interesting player. I wrote an article about him this week at Raw Charge that I thought, uh, was pretty good, uh, but then no one read it, so I guess it wasn't very good. <laughs> um, but I, I I dove into some specific stuff ab- about his game. But he's he's a unique player um, in that he's a he's a smaller center, um, but he's great at both ends of the ice. He plays the shutdown minutes. He took the matchup with the Bergeron line in the second round of the playoffs last year, and um, they got wrecked in the first game of that series, but they dominated it. For the rest of it, um, he's a he's got a really special kind of ability around the net to finish. He's he's got some of that Matthews thing where he scored thirty goals and had sixty something points <laughs> last year. Um, so it's a lot of goals and and not as much on the playmaking side. Um, his contract is really challenging for me. To project because he has a really weird stats profile um and this is what i wrote about last week he is 11th he last season he was 11th in the nhl in primary scoring rate at five on five um that's that's really good that's like among you know the best the best players in in the league um but he only scored 66 points and the reason that he only scored 66 points is because he doesn't score on the power play um, and so his, his contract, I think if, if that continues this year, um, and it hasn't changed so far in the beginning of this year, he's scoring like a maniac at five on five, but doesn't do anything on the power play. If that continues, it's going to be a really interesting case for, um, how do teams and agents evaluate players for contracts? Because, if you look at his five-on-five scoring and his shot metrics, um, like if you look at at Micah McCurdy's new model at, at HockeyViz, um, I'm gonna get this number wrong because it's off the top of my head, but I think he's like a I think he's like a plus 16% in threat, where he's like plus eight to ten percent on offense and like plus six percent on 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 defense. So yeah, it's 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 really good. He looks like a superstar that way. He looks pretty much as good as anyone on Tampa really. Yeah, and and so like you you so he's he's one of the better scorers in the league at 5 on 5. He drives play um among the best players in the league at at 5 on 5 like 
if you if you think that's what he is as a player, then you're talking like eight plus for for that kind of performance. But then mm-hmm. you see sixty six points, and that and so it's it's just really going to come down to like how much have the new metrics made it into um, player evaluations and contract negotiations. Because if you look in that that kind of soft middle area and and uh, geo at our at raw charge has, has done a lot of work on this generally like if you guessed that that players who score between like like forwards especially who score between like 30 to 70 points are going to get about are going to get about a, a million for every 10 points they score like he, that's the decent ballpark so if, if he's going to score 60 something points traditionally that would be a you know, six and a half, six and a half million, maybe seven million with the with the cap bumping up kind of player. So, yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm not sure how that's gonna shake out. And if he if he starts scoring on the power play this year, like he scores on like he scores at five on five at some point, then he's gonna score like eighty points, and this won't be a, a conversation anyway. Um, and he'll just be what he is, and and they'll have to figure out what they want to do with that contract wise. But if he lands in that that sort of mid sixties point range, um. I don't know how I don't know how the 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 contract will shake out. It's it's going to be interesting to see. I think there's an interesting parallel there with um, the Leafs player currently in a contract, uh, I guess, dispute uh, in William Nylander because people look at the top line stats. He has 61 points in his last two years, and like, okay, well, I mean, yeah, six million, six and a half million, whatever. He shouldn't get any more than that. But like point, and probably not to the same degree as point. Certainly not in the shot driving numbers uh because point truly is one of the best in the league at that but when you dig into Nylander's stats more he tends to look better and better right like he, he looks least impressive by his top line superficial stats you dig into per minute and he looks even better you dig into like zone entries and zone exits and passing numbers and shot assists and other things and he looks even better than that how do you see okay okay so if from your vantage point you know being far away from the Leafs and far away from the incessant annoying coverage about this. How do you see this Nylander contract dispute um, so far? What would you kind of be looking to assign him for if you were a GM? And what do you think is kind of his fair value? I mean, I think, I think like a lot of people have said, um, I think a number around seven is probably fair. Um, High sixes, low sevens, if we're talking long-term. And it seems like that's what, what both sides want. I mean, it's that both sides want a long-term deal based on the, the reporting. But the thing that is, is really interesting to me about this is I, I would not have guessed that this would go on this long. And, you know, yeah, I, none of us did. <laughs> and, and as I've been thinking about it, I was, I was kind of ignoring it. I'll be honest for the first week or two of the season. I was it's like, yeah, this is, this is a normal thing, right? He's that both sides are negotiating. There's no, no, not a major risk to either side to, to miss a few games here. They'll, they'll sort this out. Um, but the more I've been thinking about it lately, it, I, I don't know how you get to this point on, you know, November 4th, uh, you know, when we're recording today to, to, to have both sides not able to come to a deal unless someone has taken an unreasonable position. <laughs> I, I, right. I don't know how else that happens unless, you know, someone has taken a position that is just that that is sort of non-negotiable, and now and now you're stuck. But I, I'm, I'm I I would be very interested, and we'll never hear this. But I I, I just I 
I have a hard time imagining what the argument would be either from the team that he is like a six and a quarter million player or something, or 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 from Nylander that he's like a you know seven and three quarters or eight play, like it's or you know maybe it's term length or or, or something. But I it, it's hard for me to envision what the what would cause this to go on for so long when I and you're right that there's some there's a gap between right the number of points he's scored and and some of the other metrics but um yeah I'm 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 sort of confused by by what the what what the holdup would be when it seems pretty straightforward to to evaluate him I I think at least within a reasonable range where you could have a conversation and and arrive at something that that would you know be palatable for both sides welcome to our hell <laughs> um yeah it, it's been perplexing there was actually uh, Chris Johnston, who's one of the Leafs beat reporters, and uh, he's a pretty credible guy. He wrote a thing today basically saying that the Leafs aren't going to trade William Nylander, period. And even if he were to sit out the year in Europe, they said they probably wouldn't trade him. And so the whole thing read a lot like Kyle Dubas like making a leak to the press and sort of like just saying, like, we are not going to trade you. Um, at all, so you might as well come around. But I, I agree, it's kind of bewildering that they couldn't come close to seven. And, and I'll be honest, you know, seven, I think, is a lot, maybe. Or it's a little, maybe over his value, but, like, I don't care anymore. I'm just sort of worn out and sad. But I mean, uh, on a long-term deal, <clears throat> maybe this is me being, like, a furious Nylander booster and Allen as a more unbiased party could probably tell me if that's the case but i think mm-hmm. seven on a long-term deal is is pretty fair when you consider like the cap going up and all that sort of thing like it, it yeah I, I, the thing i come back to is that like last year as a 21 year old he was like 30th in the league in even strength scoring he didn't get much power play time yes he played with austin matthews but matthews was injured for 20 games too right yeah. so like people sometimes discuss him as if he's a product of matthews as if matthews is numbers don't go down significantly when Nylander's not there. And as if Matthews this season was doing amazingly at five on five without him, he was in terms of his individual scoring, but his line struggled. That is not meaningless in my opinion. Anyways, yeah. that, that's, that's my, that's my weekly um, William Nylander propaganda. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think just, Sorry, go ahead, yeah, Alan. just, I think just to, like, it's, it's just, it's strange to me that that the agent wouldn't come in asking seven and a quarter, seven and a half. Dubas wouldn't come in offering six and a half, and they wouldn't land at like six point eight seven five. Like it just seems like that. Yeah, that's the no, way it, 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 that should have been done like two months ago. So I'm just I'm, I'm I, I would be interested to know which side took some some bizarre position that has that has sort of led to this point. And the things we we've heard from various sources that like. Kind of both sides have done that to some degree. Um, reportedly, Nylander's ask or his agent's ask was eight and a half million. Obviously, that's the Dreisaitl deal. And if you look at their first like two and a half, three years in the NHL, superficially they look very similar. Um, but obviously, that's not the Dreisaitl deal was an overpay at the time, even as good as Leon Dreisaitl is. Um, Peter Chiarelli just fucks things up for everyone, not just his team. Eh? I. Okay, I was just, like, I was having a discussion with somebody about, like, the rules about what is and is not admissible in arbitration hearings because there are limitations on what you can bring up. And 
I honestly was, was thinking that like we need a trade slash contract discussion rule on hockey Twitter, which is you're not allowed to use anything that involved Peter Chiarelli as a comparable for anything that does not involve Peter Chiarelli. Like he's just in his own universe where nothing makes any sense and he does everything wrong. And so we can't use him as a comparable. I think it would really improve the discourse. You're probably but, right. But yeah, like it, <laughs> it, it is just really bizarre. We, we've had comments going back on PPP like four or five months. Like, yeah, I expect this to settle in at like, I don't know, 6.8, like slightly north of what Pasternak got due to cap inflation. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, it, it just leaves you wondering like what, what has gone on through this negotiation? Who is being stubborn here? Uh, Bob McKenzie on his uh, podcast I think in the most recent episodes, it's something to the effect of like the Leafs see his value as somewhere between Ehlers and Pasternak's AAV, which would cap, cap him at 6.67. I think that's kind of lowballing him because it ignores the fact that Pasternak signed his deal um, a year earlier and that Ehlers signed his deal without knowledge of where the cap was going to go. And that both of them kind of took notable discounts. It, if that's the case, then it feels like the Leafs might be overplaying their hand to some degree. Um, not that I think they should cave and give him whatever he wants, but in my opinion, $200,000 in AAV, $300,000 in AAV is not worth the potential of losing Nylander. No, it's... I, I had a sort of a throwaway point recently where it was like, let's say that like you get kind of severe not quite worst case scenario, but like bad numbers on the overpays for Nylander, Marner, Matthews. And I said, let's say they overpay Nylander by 1.2 and Matt and Marner by two and Matthews by three. Like we just get taken to the cleaners on all of those deals and they look bad combined. That's about the same as the Marlowe contract. It's not like a perfect one-to-one comparison, but it's like, I really don't, think overpaying your stars by and large is that serious a problem unless you like you have to really really screw it up even with the dry settle contract which i think is definitely an overpay um i don't think that's really what's holding edmonton back no, it's, to the extent it, that it is it's like it's the like, russell deal that's holding them back it's the lucic deal that's holding them back it's other deals that are holding them back not really Dreisaitl. Like Dreisaitl was a phenomenal player. If he's overpaid yeah. by a mil, whatever, like that's maybe the price of having an elite player on your team. And I think he he's pretty close to that. But yeah, it's it's the other deals that kind of really hurt you. And I mean, for the Leafs, it's hard not to look at the Mario deal and right now the Zaitsev deal. Although the Zaitsev deal is more problematic in terms of term rather than AAV. I think if you get four, if if you're paying four million for your fourth defenseman, that's not really a problem. It's just this fourth defenseman has been troubled at times in terms of his ability to play <laughs> hockey. <laughs> Which is too bad because I think that that's kind of relevant to his job. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I mean, I, we are kind of chasing our tails. I feel a bit bad for Alan because it's like, he's kind of peeking his head through the door and he's watching like a couple of people like, slowly losing their minds over the Nylander contract because of the holdout. <laughs> we were supposed to talk I mean, about the yeah. Lightning, and then we just tri- we, we segued the point just into straight talking about the Leafs. It's like a, it's, <laughs> it's a metaphor for all hockey discourse. <laughs> but how does this affect the Leafs? But the thing is, is that Helen has experience with some of this as referenced previously because the Kucherov 
deal resolved in a bridge contract, which was kind of interesting because the Lightning wound up for three years with arguably the best value non-ELC deal in the league. I think that that's plausible to argue, at least. Like, Kucherov was so good at a 4.7 cap hit. And, you know, there were worries there about souring the relationship in the end, but he just signed a massive extension. Um, and he, he looks like he's going to be in Tampa for a long time. So it, it kind of worked out in a lot of ways. I, I mean, what's your feeling looking back on that now, Alan? So I have mixed feelings, right? I think, And I think this is... This is one of the conversations that I would like to see change in the way um, that we talk about things as as fans. Um, that that deal was a little gross, right? From a from a labor perspective, he's obviously one of the best players on the team, and by the end of that deal, was one of the best players in the league. Um, he's a restricted free agent, so he has very little leverage. Um, Tampa is a really good team. Uh, you know, he wants to play obviously. Um, he's also very much like, he's like a kind of a hockey robot kind of person, you know, like that's just his Mm -hmm. mentality. He just, when he's not playing hockey, he's like playing hockey. Um, so I I don't know. I, I didn't feel great about that. Um, you know, I, I would have preferred that they pay him something that was like close to his va- I mean that close to his value you know um even if it meant that they couldn't have retained someone else on the team and um so that that's you know I, I don't I don't love that kind of approach from teams where you just sort of hammer hammer guys with with the leverage that you have but it did seem that he I mean at least he he wasn't you know he didn't even wait until until you know, he was a free agent until his and had arbitration rights and all that stuff. He just, you know, signed a eight year, nine and a half million dollar extension. Um, so obviously he was he was OK with it. So, you know, I, I, I think um, that deal, I, I don't think it's necessarily always a bad thing for a for a player to sign a, a bridge deal. I think sometimes if you can do a short term deal at a reasonable um you know, annual value based on your performance so far and then put yourself in a position to to really get paid on the next deal, I think that can work out that can work out really well. I I think that one was a little that was a little much. Um and I I I definitely I would have to go back and double check, but I don't think I really celebrated that that deal at, at the time as like a awesome, we're underpaying this guy. We're paying this guy like half his like half what he's worth for the next three years. Um but yeah, it, it did seem to sort of work out and it got them through. Obviously, they had some cap stuff that they had to get through. They had some really bad deals on the books. Matt Carl had a rough contract. Um, you know, Jason Garrison's deal got, got pretty bad by the end before they moved him on to Vegas. So it got them through. And I, I think the concern is, or at least, you know, it looks like we could there could be a similar situation with Point next summer where they're capped out and they try to make that argument that, you know, hey, you know, you have to sort of take this because this is all we have under the cap. And then, you know, what's he going to, he's going to say like, no, you trade JT Miller and pay me what I'm worth. Like that's a, you know, that's a, that's a tough argument to make. So um, it, it puts the player in a really tough spot when you kind of, when you kind of pinch them like that. But it seemed, it seemed like you said that, you know, it, it worked out. And, and I wonder how much of that was 
Um, maybe Kucherov felt like he didn't get the best representation at that time. He changed agents almost immediately after that deal. Um, I would too. And yeah, mm-hmm. and, and he seems he's with Dan Milstein now, who for all his issues does seem to generally do do pretty well by his players and, and get them taken care of. So maybe, you know, he was able to smooth some things over with the front office over the last few years and, and maybe getting that deal done a year early was, was, was part of that, you know, both sides just saying, look, we, we know the last one maybe didn't, didn't go the best. So we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to pony up now and just and get this done and, and keep you here, you know, hopefully for the rest of your career. With regards to, to point and a, bridge deal Fudeman kind of alluded to this earlier does a bridge deal help that much in this case because the lightning have so many long-term deals it's not like they have a lot of money coming off the books that soon aside from that callahan contract um i guess what are your thoughts on that am i am i off base in that sense or the only thing it does is it might get them to the point where some of those mtcs become modified mtcs and some of those guys on the back end of their deals become movable like kalorn and johnson and and if you know, if they can get point for three years at a reasonable number, then, you know, by the time he comes up to need to be signed, then they can move Kalorn and make, make the room for him. But yeah, they, they have so many long-term contracts and, and they've paid everyone commensurate with their performance, which is, which is a good thing. And that should happen. But eventually, eventually you just sort of just, you run out of money in a hard cap. Um, that, that, that's, that's how it goes. So, but I, I think, um, from a priority perspective and the way that the team talks about point, I think they would, they would move, they would move on from other players to make sure that they had him. And the, and the two guys that are movable are, are Miller. And then also the, the contract Gord just signed. He's one of the few guys who doesn't, who doesn't really have uh, I think he has a 10 team, no trade. So he's, he's that that's a, that's a very movable deal too. another guy making 5 million who, who produces and is, is still relatively young. So, I, I expect point to be around. It's just going to be what do they, how do they, what's the best way for them to navigate that? And and hopefully they, the lesson they learned from the Kucherov contract wasn't just hey we can just uh, we can just underpay these guys uh, until they're like 26. Um, maybe they learned a, a different lesson about getting him a contract that that's commensurate with his performance and and sort of do things that way. Yeah, it, it's sort of awkward because like as a fan, it undoubtedly made the team better if like if William Nylander took a eight-year three million dollar deal for I don't know some god knows what reason like that would undeniably make the Leafs so much better because they would have like a ridiculous player playing well above their cap hit but you also just from a decency point of view it's not fun to see players get exploited and I know it's part of the CBA and yes they're phenomenally rich pro athletes who are living lives that are far better than what mine will ever be um, but it, yeah, it, it leaves a bit of a sour taste in your mouth, or at least I, I agree with you with your kind of feeling of like kind of just ickiness with that sort of deal where you strong arm a guy who doesn't have a ton of leverage. Yeah. I mean, you, it, it's more fun to root for a team that, that is, that you feel good about too. You know what I mean? Like that, and yeah. there, there's a lot of things that sports teams do to, to make fans feel like, oh, this is, this is a little, feeling a little too, a little too corporate businessy, you know? profit first kind of kind of stuff um and and there's there's going to be some of that it, it it's going to happen it's 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 part of the game but yeah i think teams that at least make a good faith effort to to not you know go totally wild with taking advantage of everything that they possibly can to suppress player salaries like 
you know, I, I I would rather root for a team like that 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 maybe gets capped out and the bottom of the roster doesn't have maybe as much talent as it. Like I I would rather feel good about the team I'm watching than than just see them do everything they can to suppress player salaries. That's that's my perspective. I know not everybody feels the same, and that's that's fine. But just 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 for me, that that makes the team more more enjoyable. As an aside on that. Do you have a take on the Jake Dodson thing? Because that seemed to me to be pretty ruthless uh, and certainly something that the union will have to contest. So I, I guess I should say Jake Dodson, who's a defenseman who is remembered none too fondly in Leafland because he has a habit of hitting the knees of our players, um, showed up to camp purportedly not in game shape and he allegedly had conditioning issues and the Lightning... Uh, terminated his contract for material breach, which is essentially their way of saying you violated the terms of your contract so badly that we don't consider ourselves bound by it anymore. And it is, you know, a legal position to take anyway, which is going to lead to a fight and everything. But essentially they cut him adrift. And uh, I think he's wound up in Anaheim now. He's wound up uh, going on there. Uh, what's your opinion on that, Alan? This is a hard one for me. Um, I've been really careful mm-hmm about what I've said about this, and I've been very specific in the way that we covered it um, at the site. I find it, I find the public version of what we know to be almost impossible to believe (laughs) that that's the whole story (laughs) and just take that at face value. That like he Mm -hmm. just went home over the summer and was just like hanging out and came back in bad shape and not good enough to, and they like, it seems that I, I don't know I, that doesn't pass the smell test for me. There has to be something more to this story and probably some history. And that probably has something to do with why he didn't play much last year, despite being an obviously better options. And then some of the players who were playing at times, um, including mm-hmm. Andre Schuster, um, who I think whose job he just took in Anaheim when they, when they, uh, <laughs> when they signed Dachin, ironically, um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like there's there's a lot of opportunity to say stuff here that could look really dumb if we got if we got more information. Mm-hmm. And so the only thing I would say is that I would hope that whatever decision the Lightning made in this case, that they they did that with his sort of best interest in mind, because it, it seems like for a hockey player to show up that out of shape, there has to be something else going on and so i i just hope there wasn't anything you know i I've, I've been waiting to hear the full story and if we get it and if they're if the lightning sort of acted in a way that i that i felt like was inappropriate i would be the first one to write it but i haven't heard anything like that so mm. we'll, we'll sort of see but yeah that's a that's a really interesting story and i don't i've, I've had a hard time sort of there there's so many options of in terms of what could have happened to lead to that over you know from him going from playing on the top pair with, with Victor Hebman and sort of being this like stabilizing force on the blue line where they, they finally had like a, you know, a competent, you know, a competent group there to get them through that year where they missed the playoffs to just being like, you know, being suspended in training camp last year, being played, you know, very little, essentially not playing at all in the second half of the season and now being, being cut for the team from the team. It seems like something's going on there. Um, 
and I, you know, it's 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 difficult to talk about it without without speculating, and I've been trying not to do that too much. Yeah. yeah. No, I think. Yeah, that's I, I do just want to say one last thing uh, as to why maybe we're noting this as significant. A termination for material breach, if it's borne out, basically eliminates the contract from existence. And the biggest, I would say, achievement that the NHLPA, the Players Union in the NHL, has made in its existence is that its contracts are fully guaranteed for the most part. Like, by and large, they end up being paid out and the teams can regret them and gnash their teeth and all this sort of stuff. But it's not like the NFL, where a lot of the money is often not guaranteed and the team just cuts them. So a material breach thing where they actually are just disposing of the contract entirely is a big deal in terms of like they're really making a move that the union basically has to fight back on or they don't have a point of existing. So just something to keep an eye on there. But I, obviously Alan is, is much more expert to me on what little we do know on this case. And so I don't want to speculate, but something to keep an eye yeah, on. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I'm just going to add one more thing. Um, first off, Fulman is right. They can, in terms of broader scope, that's, it's absolutely kind of a Pandora's box of, mm. you know, a lot of things can change depending on how this situation ultimately ends up being resolved. Um, or if it even ends up being resolved, I'm not sure even what the current status is with Dodge and kind of being out of sight and out of mind. Uh, He's still proceeding with the grievance last yeah. I heard. Uh, okay, so we will probably get some sort of resolution at some point, but who knows when. Um, PPP, we have a fan poster by who goes by the name of Kung Fu Canuck, who's uh, written some nice pieces about this, kind of exploring it from the PA's perspective and arguing why they have to fight this, which they are, which they are doing. And I just want to reiterate Alan's point again about like, if the story is to be believed, um, then it also raises questions about a team's responsibility in caring for a player and examining if you know other aspects of his life are impacting his play and whether they bear any responsibility in assisting those players with those areas of their life, right? Um, in the case of the Leafs, they often talk, and Mike Babcock talks endlessly about this, as you know, you have to make sure your home life is taken care of. You gotta, ha you know, enjoy your family, make sure that they're taken care of get all that stuff together because that's going to impact you as a player and that's true of any walk of life you know your el different elements of your life bleed into one another and we've seen both in sports and in society that people can have negative uh events happen in one part of their life and it spirals and ultimately impacts them greatly in their profession or everywhere else right so i think that's another thing to keep an eye out for and kind of think about when you're, I guess, figuring out what type of team you want to cheer for as well and kind of the behavior of the front office, going back to what Alan said about wanting to root for a team that is not just a ruthless band of people who are going to screw over everyone in their way on their mission to winning a cup. Yeah, as much as we say this is all just a business, and it is a business, and like we're constantly confronted with the business nature of it, it's also, it's an emotional thing. Yeah. Like, you know... I like my PlayStation 4, but I don't have any moral attachment to the Sony company. Uh, you know, the Leafs, I feel some sort of connection with. And so you do. You want to feel good about that. Um, there. I feel, yeah, speaking of feeling good, I want to transfer to a trivial thing that is upsetting me as opposed to that, which was kind of serious, which is that the Montreal Canadiens appear to be good. Um, I, I think I speak for all of us when I say that that's not a positive development for people outside Montreal. But, um, 
Yeah, Alan, do you think the Canadians are for real? They look like a Claude Julien team to me. Mm. That's what I see when I watch them. I don't know if they have the talent to be good, but it looks like he has sort of molded them into what his teams always are, right? They're going to they're going to outshoot you. They're going to win the expected goal battle. Um, it's going to be more about volume than quality at both ends of the ice. Um, and we saw how that worked at the end in Boston for him. It didn't, it didn't go well. They had, you know, I think it was back-to-back years where they had, you know, shooting percentage and save percentage issues running his system. Um, Montreal so far seems to be sort of holding their own in those areas they're they're able to score goals they're they're able to get saves with with carry price um playing okay so far um but yeah I, I i sort of i need to see more to know is is the system that has always worked for him and always put up these kind of numbers is is it gonna turn into to wins with this group of players because there's really not there's really not a lot there um Kukaniemi, i think is a home run as a draft pick for them he's he's looked really good um that drew in for sergachev trade is gonna haunt them i feel pretty comfortable saying that at this point um he's not yeah i would agree he's not the player that they that they wanted to insert into their top six uh max domi looks reborn in montreal like Maybe those low shooting percentages in Arizona were just a weird sample thing, you know? Shooting percentages fluctuate, and it's difficult when it's at the beginning of a player's career to know whether that's just who they are or whether um, it's just it's just bad luck. And it looks like maybe it was just bad luck, and if, if he continues to play this way, then maybe that trade will work out really well for them. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of riding the fence with them. Um, I think they're... I think they're going to be a competitive team. Um, whether whether they're really a threat, you know, I'm 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 going to wait and see because those those Boston teams at the end of his run put up similar numbers, but but couldn't get the results. So I'm going to be a self-centered Leafs fan again today, and this this team reminds me of the tankier Leafs, and I mean that in a positive sense. Um, they they execute their system really well, right, and the. They do have a, a lack of high-end talent, but it, they seem like a, a team that has really bought into whatever structure that Julian preaches. And, of course, they have Carey Price behind them, right? And, you know, that's much better, obviously, than the Leafs' dynamic duo of Garrett Sparks and Jonathan Bernier. Um, and having Carey Price behind you can cover up a lot of sins. It, it, but, yeah, the team is just—they're playing legitimately well at this point, which is troubling. Um by Corsica, their expected goals percentage is like 54%, which is, I think it ranks them fifth in the league. Offside review has them at a similar level. Micah McCurdy's uh, threat has them as um, a little bit above league average, but I think threat is like less sophisticated than those XG models. Um, so I, I tend to agree with the XG models if they if they disagree. It, it's worrisome, right? They, they, they do seem like they have the ability to potentially um, break the top three, the presumptive top three of the division of Toronto, T- Tampa Bay, and Boston. I think if, before the season, if we were to 
prognosticate of any team doing that. We probably would have said Florida. Mm-hmm. But they haven't really um, lit the world on fire. And they've, they've lost a, a lot of points early on, and that could already sort of doom them to some extent, right? Because regardless of how good a team you are, lost points are lost points. They're in the bank, right? They're set in stone. You can't change it. So, yeah, I mean, it, uh, as someone who hates the Habs, I am not a fan. The rest of the Atlantic is kind of shaken out how we would expect, right? Like Boston, Toronto, Tampa are all good teams. Um, and they're currently in the lead. Montreal is right behind them. They're actually tied with Boston. And, you know, it, it's it's in flux at one point, at this point. One or two wins for Montreal, and they basically win the division. Or not win the division, but they're leading the division. Detroit and uh, Ottawa are just awful. And then the other teams mm-hmm. are kind of in the middle, right? So... Yeah, not a fan. I, the thing is, is that Montreal is in that ideal scenario where the expectations were so lowered that they're kind of playing with house money. Yeah, absolutely. Like, although it will be funny because if they make the playoffs, they're definitely going to keep Mark Bergevin in his job. And I think he's still got some really bad trades in him. So that might be the silver lining for us. But like, if we have to play Montreal in the first round and they somehow upset us, and with Carey Price they could... I'm going to have to go and live in a cabin for two weeks yeah. and just like drink Jim Beam and write sad poetry. Like, ugh. Would not be fun I'm at all. I'm mad just thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> Would not be fun at all. Anyway. But, uh, yeah, but I, I regret, you, you know, this is kind of what I thought they would do when they hired Claude Julian. I think that Alan's very right that they've turned into a Claude Julian team. I, I thought that they would be kind of like this where they would be pretty competent and then they were so awful by the end last year. I just sort of was like, oh, okay, so they're actually going to be worse than that. But they've now recovered to a level of competence. And, you know, if Florida clears the way for them, anything is possible. I don't think the Metro is that strong, really. I mean, the Islanders so, are needing it, so. Yeah, which, I mean, come on. Although, I... <laughs> Their captain is Anders Lee. Does he even exist? Yeah. Okay, so... No. We we always, like, make fun of Anders Lee uh, on this podcast. He's actually a very good player. He's, he's legitimately is he? good, even without Tavares. <laughs> I, we're supposed to be an analytical <laughs> podcast, so we, we have to, you know, have some grain of truth here. Anders Lee is, is pretty legit. The other 12 wingers Tavares made millions of dollars. They, they're bums. But Anders Lee is all right. Yeah. The, the, um, there was some stat I saw the other day where it was like Leo Komarov, who, God bless his heart, I loved him in Toronto. But he, he's setting some sort of record for, like, the least possible offense you can have in terms of, like, shot contributions. Like, his Corsi 4 is just, like, not applicable. Like, he just does not obtain shots for. Uh, and so it, it kind of looks like, because the rest of the team is closer to him, unfortunately, than it is to being good. So I, the Isles are going to fall apart. But uh, I've noticed a lot of Isles fans are just, like, salivating at the idea that they're going to pass the leaps for even one day in the standings. And if they do, they're going to crow about it forever. Because they are very mad at us for taking John Tavares from them. Random question. Do you guys know where Anders Lee is from? Um, no, actually. Alan? Yeah, no. <laughs> no idea. Okay, where would you guess? This is riveting radio. <laughs> I'm going to say Sweden. I don't know. Somewhere in Sweden. Alan? Uh, I'm going to say he's from Texas. He's from he's from Minnesota, so Alan's closer. He's he's American. Just, he, uh, it, it, it's no, like geez. it's like when uh, you realize Alex Galchenyuk is American, right? It's like, oh wait, really? Yeah, yeah, that doesn't feel right. 
But, uh, yeah. I, I was kind of hoping Anders Lee would just sort of go away because it would validate us making fun of him for like 18 consecutive podcasts. But no, he, he's he, he does seem to be real, uh, which is too bad. He's another one of those guys. But, but by and large. He, he's another one of those guys who looks like amazing by Micah's uh, Magnus model. Like he just looks unreal as a, as a play driver. Yeah, but you know who else looks good? Zach Hyman. So. <laughs> <laughs> that that that, star, that um stat is like tailor made for Zach Hyman to look good in because Hyman <laughs> um exclusively shoots from like three feet uh from the net except he always shoots from these awkward angles with like one foot in the air his hands are on the ice he's like heading the puck in somehow <laughs> it's like any any um expected goals model that just looks at shot location is just gonna overrate the hell out of Zach Hyman. Yeah, that's the thing is if you look at the model, he looks like a superstar in the NHL. And then if you look at the other model that like covers personal finishing percentage versus like the shots that he's getting, he's like the worst guy in the world. So it's kind of a trade off. Oh, he's sorry. Th- that just reminded me of one thing. And I want to ask Alan about it. Um, so Steven Stamkos last year had one of the lower shooting percentages of his career. And of course, he's a famous high, pers- high shooting percentage guy, perhaps like the highest shooting percentage guy in modern NHL. Um, and this year, he's around 11% in shooting again, I think. He had two goals yesterday, which obviously helps. His shot rate has kind of come down from his peak. What is Steven Samkos at this point of his career, right? Because do you think he can still be that 50-goal scorer, or is he kind of just just a 30-goal scorer who is kind of morphed more into a playmaker and the, side, the Robin to Nikita Kucherov's Batman? Yeah, I don't think he's a 50-goal scorer anymore. Um I wrote about this over the summer uh, with his sort of transition to a more kind of playmaking style playing with Kucherov. And the, the, I think a lot of people sort of perceived last year for him to be sort of maybe a decline or a down year a little bit. Um, But if you look at his, his value in terms of war or, or any other sort of, you know, comprehensive stat, he was more valuable last year than he's been in a long time. Um, and the the change in his game, I don't know whether it was intentional. And he talked, you know, over the summer um, with with uh, Joe Smith, who writes at, at The Athletic covering Tampa. He talked about wanting to get back to being more of a goal, a goal scorer and taking more shots. So I don't, I don't know if this is like a, it's like a subliminal shift in his, in his game or whatever, but he... Uh, He's just become a, a really great, um, or a, I shouldn't say great, but a, a much better all-around player. He used to be really one-dimensional, and it was just goals, and not a lot of not a lot of offense. Otherwise, not really a play driver, um, not particularly reliable defensively. And it's not that he's become like a Selkie candidate or anything, but he he has a much more well-rounded game now where he's kind of a break-even defensive player and he's a much better passer. And uh, he and Kucherov kind of have that, you know, cross-ice east-west thing going. Um, and they're when they get through the neutral zone with speed and uh, at five-on-five and, and they can they can attack on the rush, they they sort of have this sense for each other. And, yeah, I, I, I am still... I am higher on Stamkos than... A lot of people, I think, particularly in the analytics kind of part of the world, um, maybe that's bias on my part. Um, 
but yeah, I don't, I, I, I'm still high on him and I thought he had a great season last year. And if he can, if he can become that player sort of as the next, the next stage of his career, right. He went through this phase where he was one of the best goal scorers in the league. And then, you know, he had a lot of injuries and if he can sort of remake himself as this more well-rounded version where he's still, you know, shoots the lights out on the, on the power play, um, from the left circle, then I, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's still very valuable and, and well worth the, the, the contract that he signed. I think it says a lot that he had 86 points last season and people are like, Oh, is he still good? <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you know, I mean, I'm biased because I kind of fell in love with the idea of us signing him away from Tampa several years ago. And so I'm still invested in how good I like to imagine that we might have been if we had signed him, but he looks to me like a tremendous player and you know, uh, him being able to reinvent himself is I think even more to his credit in that regard. So, you know, do you think he will get back to the point where his, he'll go back to those 15, 16% shooting percentage seasons? Like has anything changed in his shot or in his, as a result of his injuries that would lead you to believe that he's no longer that high conversion percentage guy? That's a good question. I, I, I don't know that he'll I don't know that he'll get back to that kind of that kind of shooting percentage. I don't think he's a singular option for the way for the team the way he was during mm-hmm. a lot of those years. I don't I don't think the offense is designed entirely to get him to where he wants to be at five on five and and get him the puck. I think they have a lot more options now, and I think they play a much more kind of free flowing game where there's a there's a lot more creativity among the forwards. And so I, I I don't see him. He doesn't get he doesn't get teed up at five on five the same way that he used to, um, because I just think the team plays a different style. I, I don't see anything. His shot doesn't look markedly worse to me. Like when he camps out in that left circle on the power play and they feed him a pass, it's, I mean, it still looks ridiculous when it comes off his stick. Um, so, but it, it, it's possible that maybe some of the injuries have hampered his ability to get to where he needs to get at five on five. And um, so maybe that's that slowed him a little bit, but when, when he gets when he gets the shot, it still it still looks pretty much as as good as it always did to me. I'm looking at Stamkos' stats now in Hockey Reference, and my God, like it, it is honestly just a ridiculous shame that the injuries that he's had in the year where he scored 60 goals, he scored 48 at even strength. Yeah, 48 even strength. I remember goals. when I was running him up, like everyone was like, "Oh, he's he's a power play demon." He's I was like, "No." He's really, really good at a lot of that things. That is a 48 goals at even strength. That is not that would no. win you the Richard in a lot of years. 48 goals, but and that was just even strength. Yeah, I think I think people yeah. have forgotten a little bit um, how great the start to his how great the start to his career was. He he looked he was on a trajectory for historic, you know, historical kind of stuff. And I I don't think obviously he gets to to that level at this point but if he can if he can stay healthy and and you know the lightning continue to be a good competitive team he can still you know have put together a you know an an excellent career but it'll 
I'll I'll never look at his number, whatever his number is at his as at the end of his career. Or I'll, it'll be impossible to look at those without wondering, you know, what if the first you know four or five years had, what what if he'd been that that player, you know, through his through his mid to late twenties. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it's just utterly ridiculous going going through it. He was so good uh, in the early part of his career, and it, it's especially funny given that, like, in his rookie year, there was like a non, there was an unironic subplot of like, oh, is Steven Samkos actually not that good? Right, <laughs> but that that was when he was coached by Barry Melrose, wasn't it? Yeah, that I don't think Bell, Barry Melrose like that guy couldn't coach his way out of a paper bag. Like, come on. That's that's one of the lowest points I think in terms of like recent or relatively recent kind of that that was like man things are that was when we felt like we might lose a team like it right. it, it, it it had become mm-hmm. like a sideshow and it was like oh yeah they're I mean luckily they got bought by Jeff Vinnick and he sort of revamped everything but yeah that that at that point in the in the franchise history it was it. it you know, we thought they were going to go to Quebec or whatever. We've yeah, I, I just want to uh, to note that in our own context. I mean, the darkest times for us were like the depths of the Randy Carlyle era, and, and I think a lot of the people in the Toronto nerdy analytics community, we said a lot of things during that time about who was good, who wasn't good, and all that sort of stuff. But it's been a little comforting that we've been totally validated about what a god-awful coach Randy Carlisle is. Oh my god, yeah. Because, like, look at Anaheim. They're getting outshot, like, 85-1 to 1 every night. It's like, see? It wasn't... Anaheim's no, expected goal is 4%. Was the I literally have this bookmarked, because I check this, like, very regularly, <laughs> which, which says a lot about my hobbies. Anaheim's expected goal is percentage is 35% at even strength. Yeah. 35%. Like, percent. That, that, that's worse than the uh, McDavid tanking sa- uh, Sabres. That's awful. Just like, just like the um, the Habs look like a Claude Julien team, the Ducks look like a Randy Carlisle team now. Like he's he's had two seasons. Mm-hmm. He's had he had like a full season and a full off season, and they they look like he has his fingerprints all over that team. And I I feel like that team is like it's like an experiment to see like <laughs> if you put. <laughs> the absolute worst system possible on the ice and then put the best goalie in the league in the net like what what will happen like i i I don't know like i need i need like a john gibson like diary for this year to see (laughs) like he needs to be like hooked up and like tested like we need to find out what's going on with him like physically and mentally like the psychological (laughs) impact of being that good and just having just like a just an absolute tire fire in front of you for 60 minutes a night like it's 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 like borderline abusive to give randy carlisle a goalie that good and have him be able to like hide behind that it's it's ridiculous it's honestly just... i honestly think that if yeah sorry it's just if you did actually get the whole john gibson experience it makes me think of like an H.P. Lovecraft horror novel or something where like the main character, you know, gets deeper and deeper into the abyss and eventually he gets like a vision of hell and he just goes insane. I think that's basically how this ends unless someone rescues John Gibson. I'm very worried for him. It's like Carlisle is trying to figure out, he's doing the analytics, 
guys a favor. He's trying to figure out how bad a replacement level team is, but Gibson keeps fucking it up for him. Because <laughs> he keeps saving too many shots. Uh, it's, it's like a Twilight Zone oh episode. Like, I, I can't get over it. I can't get over how bad they are and how good he is. And, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't follow that team that closely, but I don't know. I might need to start reading some, like, media stuff from out there just to see what, what people are saying. Because I I imagine the narratives have to be ridiculous. The insane thing is... Shots to the outside. The insane thing is, like, in the mainstream media, we haven't even seen any criticism of it. It's kind of like, hey, wow, that's neat. Look at what John Gibson's doing. And no one's going, like, who is responsible for this? (laughs) Why is... He shouldn't have to do that. (laughs) Why does John Gibson already have 400 goals saved above average? Two weeks into the season, like, what is... Two two weeks into the season, if John Gibson puts up, like, a 900 from here on out, he still wins the Vesna. He yeah. wins the Vezina like, just, no matter what. Petty. Just for showing up to work every <laughs> yeah. day, he wins the Vezina. <laughs> it's, it's, it, I like your theory about how he has like a full, he's had a full season and a full off season, and that's how long it takes to like, for his stink to like permeate the roster. Like Campus Denton was fighting really hard against it, but <laughs> over too much exposure, it just, it just broke him down. Like they've tied him to a chair in the depths of like the arena. It's sort of like, concede the blue line, Hampus. No, no, I'm going to hold the line. Do it! And, you know, this is the result of, like, a broken Ducks team. So, yeah, anyway, I'm still mad about Randy Carlisle is, I guess, what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> Spent so many years watching him do this to my team that it's kind of No, but this, it really, really else. can't be overstated how crazy this is. Like, Ottawa, who is a bad team, their expected goals percentage is nine percentage points higher than the Ducks. There is no coach who has been hired repeatedly for a long stretch this century who I think is worse than Randy Carlisle. Like, I'm saying since the turn of the millennium, I honestly believe that. Like, there have been some awful coaches. Has Pierre Maguire coached recently? they get run out faster. What's Has up? Pierre Maguire coached recently? <laughs> he was the GM at, like, the Whalers, wasn't oh, he? Oh, yeah, like that, that ended great. <laughs> <laughs> just had to relocate the team and just give up. But, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, I'm glad that's not us anymore. That's sort of the takeaway from this. Today's podcast is at least we're not suffering like we used to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one one thing I did want want to mention. Um, so we tend to goof on the Canucks a lot just because it's it's funny. They're they're very dumb most of the time. But we need to give uh, Elias Peterson, Elias Pedersen, however the, however you say his name. I've seen it said uh, so many ways. Pedersen is fucking unreal. He's so good. He's ridiculous. Yeah, I I'm a little. Like it, as soon as I got him, I was like, "Oh, that was that was the right." Yeah. Move. Like I was kind of hoping they'd do like a Jake Vertanen thing again, <laughs> and they'd really botch the pick. I was hoping they would take but... Middlestat. Oh yeah, and that's funny. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, it's, it's kind of messed up that he's that good and he's on that team, and they don't deserve it at all. Um, His I mean, Corsi the... row is nine percent. <laughs> <laughs> It's and, and the thing, it's like fifty percent when he's on the ice. So like when when he's on the ice, there they're like they can go toe to toe with pretty much anyone. And then when he's off the ice, they're like the fucking Anaheim Ducks again. Yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, he he know. he is absolutely unreal, and he's he's gonna be so fun to watch. The kind of scary thing if you're a Canucks fan is that like. So it's good and bad. They have a genuine star. Brock Besser is is legit. Quinn Hughes, I think, is a very good pick. They'll probably get another high pick this year. 
So they could very conceivably have a really strong core, but like three years from now, they're still playing Jay fucking Beagle. <laughs> right? They'll still have Antoine Roussel. They just have a lot of bad contracts on their on the bottom end of their roster, and those are still going to be there. And I think more importantly, Jim Benning is still going to be there because Pedersen being this good buys him slack, right? Because it means, oh, wow, you know, the, uh, the Canucks picked fifth and they got either the best or second best player out of that draft so far, depending on how you feel about Nico Hishier. Um, I No, honestly, I think that, like, an underrated thing in doing a rebuild is you have to fire the guy who screwed you up before he gets a chance to start taking credit for the next wave. And, and the Leafs were fortunate enough to do this with Dave Nonis. They got rid of him early before the team started improving. Because, like, once you get that wave of optimism coming back up, the team starts improving. You start thinking, oh, he's figuring it out. You know, he, he's getting things together. And then he's going to hamstring you at the next stage, too. Uh, you, you know, like, if Jim Benning starts getting access to some free agent money again, God help them all. He's going to sign every grit center that oh, he can get. I, I didn't even on, mention so. the Louis Erickson deal. Oh, God, yeah. Which, I mean, it's inescapable and there's nothing they can do now. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. But at least they have Elias Pedersen. Like, it's always better to have a star oh, than not have a star. Until he leaves in free agency, if yes, yeah. <laughs> the the thing with the with the Canucks, and this is something that I've sort of started to think about a lot more with sports, is like, I think most of their fans are sort of, or their their smart fans um, are sort of like waiting for for Benning to be out, and like you know things will get better. But they they have a problem that starts with the owner, you know, and it's it's tough mm-hmm. it's tough when you have someone like that at the top like i i i i understand like why they would want a new gm but like what would make you think that the next one is gonna be like that he's gonna hire some you know sort of forward thinking like you know um sort of contemporary kind of hockey mind like it's it's gonna be the same thing again because that's you've got a very hands-on owner who thinks about the game in a very you know 1980s kind of way um and yeah i just it's it's gonna be really interesting to see like with some of these teams that have compiled some talent despite themselves to see like what that what that ends up being and and the canucks are maybe the most interesting because Pedersen Pedersen is ridiculous like he has the potential to be not just like a superstar but like one of the best players in the league and his Mm -hmm. numbers in sweden suggest that um at least offensively i mean we had to see how the rest of his game evolved but yeah he's he is a reason to watch canucks games for neutral fans i mean and you know and they they always had the sedines and that was always a good reason to watch but you know now they now they have a new reason that he's he's a star yeah i feel like we really went off brand this podcast because we said nice things about the canucks sort of the Habs and Anders Lee. So, like, we've really, we've undermined our brand a I little mean, bit, but it's all I true. I mean, Jake Vertanen's still butt, so. Yeah. <laughs> we always have that to comfort us in, in dark times. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're actually wrapping up on, or coming up on 90 minutes, so we, we should we should wrap it up. Uh, Alan, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, where can people find you and, and your work? So, I will just plug the blog, Raw Charge, um, you know, SB Nation, sister site to, to Pension Plan Puppets, if you want to keep up with the lightning. I think that's the best place to do it on the internet. Um, 
can also follow me on Twitter. Uh, you shouldn't, but but you could do that. Um, <laughs> my handle is at loser points. Uh, my tweets are extremely bad. Um, usually consisting of me yelling about some obscure thing that's happening in the lightning game, probably with no context. So if you're not watching the game, you won't even know what's happening. So that's cool. Um, yeah. So, so raw charge at loser points on Twitter. Um, and thanks for having me on guys. It, it was awesome. Yeah. Thanks for Our coming pleasure. on. Um, I should also say you should follow me on Twitter if you're going to follow anyone here. Cause I need to get more Twitter followers than Spencer Krug. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like 800 away. All right. I need, I need to be higher than... I, I have just realized what mockery I have set myself up for for, like, ever now. <laughs> um, you, can, you can find all of mine and Fuleman stuff on pensionplanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, which you should do. Get us higher than Spencer Krug. Or get me higher than Spencer Krug. Um, at ARVI, RV, and at AT Fuleman. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>